Well, good morning, church. Great to be together this morning. And uh, if you have a Bible with you, like Max said, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 5. So I'd love for you to go ahead and turn there. 1 Peter chapter 5. It, uh, it's interesting because next week, so crazy to me that already next week we start our, our sermon series through Advent, celebrating Christmas time uh, beginning next Sunday, which means that today we wrap up our sermon series through 1 Peter. So we've at all four campuses, we've been walking through Peter's letter here, and now today we come to the conclusion of it. And I think it's really interesting that when you get to the end of something, people get really intentional about what exactly they want to communicate. For example, like a letter. We still remember what that is, correct? A handwritten letter. Somebody writes a letter, they get to the end of it. And they are not flippant with their words. They're actually very intentional with what they want to communicate at the end of that letter. Somebody gets to the, uh, the end of a book. The last chapter is intentional about how the author wants to conclude his book or her book. What they want to convey, what they want to communicate. You get to the end of a movie and the director wants to give a certain intentional ending to that movie. And it's no different today with Peter when he gets to the end of his letter. He's very intentional with what he wants to communicate to his readers in the first century, but also to us today. So what exactly was that message that he had or that he wrote? Here it is simply. This is our focus this morning. It is a final charge to exiles, spiritual exiles living in a world that is not their home. It's his final thing that he wants to say to spiritual exiles as they live in this world which is not their home. It's going to be the focus this morning. And so to look at his final charge, to understand his final charge, I think we have to grasp and fully understand what he means by the identity, the name, the title given to Christians, spiritual exile. We have to understand that, then we will fully understand what his final charge is to us. So, no way to end a letter than to go back to the beginning of one, all right? So we're actually going back to chapter 1, verse 1. You won't beat the Baptist to uh, lunch today, all right? We're going to read, no, I'm just kidding. We're not going through the entire letter again. Starting out in chapter 1, verse 1, let's grasp, let's wrap our mind around, let's understand what is meant by spiritual exile, I think we have to grasp the gravity of this. Peter opened up his letter. Remember, he opened it up this way. He said, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So you notice what he calls Christians. He doesn't even call us Christians, right? He refers to us as exiles. And this is not the only time in his letter that he would refer to believers in Christ as exiles. If you move on into chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, he fleshes this out just a little bit more about what exactly it means for us to be spiritual exiles. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and, there it is again, exiles, 
to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, that's what the world does, right? They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So once again, Peter calls his readers, us believers, he calls us exiles. This reminds me, the thought of a Christian being in a spiritual exile in this world that is not their home, it reminds me of the opening line of one of the all-time great Christian classics, Pilgrim's Progress, the third most sold book in Christian literature throughout the last 2,000 years. That John Bunyan, he opens up this classic with a very intentional phrase. He opens it up this way. He says, as I walked through the wilderness of the world. Again, title, The Pilgrim's Progress. As I walked through the wilderness of this world. Any, does that resonate with anybody this morning? Do you feel like as a believer in Christ, you're just walking through the wilderness of this world as a pilgrim? spiritually, as an exile spiritually. Or as one commentator put it this way, in his commentary he put it this way, that Christians, if they rightly consider their calling, must never settle themselves here, but fill themselves as what? Travelers. That if we truly understand the Christian life, what it's all about, Following Christ, what it's all about. Being a believer in Christ, what it's all about. That it really is a life of not finding your home here on this earth, finding your true home in heaven, but you operate, you live as a traveler through the wilderness of this world. That is a key understanding of what it means to be a Christian. That is so much more profound than I'm a Christian because I go to church. That's so much more profound and real than, well, I grew up in a Christian home, therefore I'm a Christian. Or my mom and dad or my grandma, she was a believer, therefore I guess I'm, I'm, I'm a good Christian, right? That no, when you read your Bible, you see that a true part of our identity as believers is that we're just pilgrims. We're travelers. We're sojourners. We are spiritual exiles living in a culture to where we feel like, no, Christ has changed me. I'm not a part of this world. I mean, don't you see it, the destruction, the, the brokenness of the world around you? I mean, we, we are living in a world right now that we see the horrific abuse of children and women and it's prominent we don't belong to that, right? You don't belong to that. As a redeemed believer, we see the exploitation of the poor. We don't belong to that. That's not what Christ intended for this world to be about. You and I live in a culture right now that just thrives on the impulsion of canceling somebody because they said the wrong thing at the wrong time. 
So therefore, we write them off, right? That's not what Christ intended for this world to be about. We live in a, a world that marvels in the, the folly of racism, the foolishness of racism. That's not what God intended for this world to be about. We live in a world to where we experience the promotion of the horror of abortion, taking a human life, even to the point on a certain show that comes on TV, on NBC, on Saturday nights, that loves to run a skit that mocks the sanctity of human life. We live in a culture to where we are certainly missing the beauty of God's intentional design of men and women being equal in value, created in the image of God, yet unique, the beauty of their uniqueness and how God has wired them and their gender. The culture is missing that. So what is our response to spiritual exiles to the brokenness of the world in which we live in? Is it simply that we just remove ourselves from culture? Certainly not what Jesus taught. He said, you're in the world, but you're not of the world. Is our response simply to become cynical to the world around us? I don't think that's what we've been called to. Is it simply that as we get older, we become more cranky and grumpy to the, uh, towards the world around us? We become the get-off-my-lawn Christians? They're a joy to be around, right? Like, no, that's not what we've been called to. Here's the reality of what a spiritual exile has been called to. As we live in this world that's not our home, up on the screen for you, that the infinite brokenness of this world is a sobering reminder that we are not living in our true home. That's Peter's entire letter and his entire message that as you look at the brokenness, the infinite brokenness around you in this world, it is a sobering reminder that this world is not your home, Christian. In other words, don't get too comfortable. You're a pilgrim, you're a traveler, you're simply passing through. This is not your true home. So for Peter, he wraps up his letter in giving a final charge to us as spiritual exiles. And saying, okay, this is not your home. Look at the brokenness around you. Let it be a sobering reminder. This is not your home. But this is how you run your race through this world and to do it faithfully well. So what was this charge? Let's let the scripture speak this morning on its own. This passage is so good, church. It's good. It's rich. It is very applicable to our life and it gives the answer to the question how do we live through this world that is not our home spiritual exiles look at verses six and seven together he starts out this way he says humble yourselves humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of god so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Church, what, 
What a, what a great passage this is. Christians, exiles, how do you live through this world that's not your home? Number one for you, up on the screen, Peter says, rest under the care of God's mighty hand. You want to faithfully walk through this life for Christ? Number one, he says, rest. Let your soul, let your heart rest under the care of God's mighty hand. And I, I want to give a quick clarification for a moment. So you notice here, he, he acknowledges that we as believers will face anxieties. That's, that's probably going to be normal in this Christian life of a spiritual exile. You and I will face anxieties. That will be normal. I want to clarify for a moment, though. There are certainly some anxieties that we experience that, that I believe we need professional help in dealing with those anxieties. And that is not shameful. That is not bad. You don't need to hide that. You don't need to put on a, I'm a strong East Texan. I can handle this on my own front. Like, don't delay going and getting professional counseling to handle some of these severe anxieties that you're walking through and experiencing. I can't emphasize that enough. Help is there. God has provided it. Go get it. So the question becomes, what kind of anxieties is Peter referring to here? I think for us to answer that question, we have to understand the Greek term for anxiety that he uses in this passage. It literally means feeling torn, divided, or pulled apart. Like it's something in your life that stirs within you to where you're torn, you're divided, you feel pulled apart, you feel pressed into and is causing anxiety in your life. That's the anxiety he's referring to now. It's really interesting because what was Peter's response to how we handle those anxieties? He said, cast them, but cast them where? Cast them on him. Cast them on Jesus. Praise God that Jesus welcomes our anxieties. He's not ashamed of us when we experience those. But he says, whatever is tearing you, pulling you, pressing into you, dividing you, he says, cast those, cast those upon Jesus. So here's a hope for me as a preacher. Telling you the honest truth. I, I, I never want to stand in front of you, teach a passage, and for me to be numb to the truth that is in that passage. I, like, I think it's unhealthy for me personally. I think it's unhealthy for us as a church as well. If, if I'm standing before you and I'm just proclaiming a sermon, yet I'm not asking questions about that sermon, I'm, I'm also not allowing God's truth to penetrate my life, my heart, to press into me where maybe it's uncomfortable. It's not good for me to ignore what God is saying through a passage just because I'm like, I don't want to deal with that. No. I can't pick and choose what I like about God's word and what I don't like. So... I want to be upfront and honest with you guys. This part of the passage here, like 
this one hits home with me right now. The anxiety part. It hits home with me because there's, there's a couple of things right now in my life that, that I'm, I feel kind of torn, pulled apart, divided in some ways. And, and I honestly don't have answers for them right now. So if you're like, well, have Danny, have you prayed about it? Yes, I have. I'll answer that question for you, okay? Yes. It's not for a lack of running to the Lord in prayer. It's not for a, a lack of trying to get some wise counsel. Like, I just don't really have answers. This has produced some anxieties within me. So when I read this passage and I'm studying it, that's the part I just kept coming back to. Like, Lord, okay, cast them upon Jesus in my own life here, but how do I do that? Here's the great thing about this passage. He answers that question for us. Notice how we cast those anxieties as spiritual exiles, living in this world that's not our home. How do we do this? Two ways. Number one, he said, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Did you catch that in verse 6? Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, meaning swallow your pride. Take your anxieties to him. Humble yourself underneath his sovereign providence. I love John Wesley's prayer of surrender to the mighty hand of God. Wesley prayed it this way. He said, I am no longer my own, but thine. By the way, I'm just going to warn you, there's some thou's and thine's here, okay? He said, put to what thy wilt, rank me with whom thy wilt. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed for thee or laid aside for thee, exalted for thee or brought low for thee. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I am freely and heartily yield all things to thine pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thou art mine and I am thine. And then he concludes it this way. So be it. So be it. Wesley just simply prayed, Lord, I surrender to your mighty hand in my life, in your ways. How else do we take our anxieties and cast them upon Jesus? Number two, he says here, that very last part, notice in verse seven, he says, because he cares for you, meaning this, trust in his sovereign care for you. Being a spiritual exile is not easy. Struggling with anxieties of this world certainly is not easy, but we must trust in his sovereign care for us. Church, I'll ask you a simple question. And you may not like the question. But if you're honest, what is currently winning in your life right now? What's winning? Your anxieties that you face today? Or the sovereign care of God for you? What's winning? Are your anxieties winning? Or are you trusting and surrendering to his sovereign care for you? Corey Tim Boom put it this way. 
when she said, anxiety does not empty today of its sorrows, it empties today, or excuse me, it doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrows, it empties today of its strength. Do you feel weak because anxiety is winning? Or do you feel strong because you're surrendering to his care for you? Praise God that he is a God who cares for us. So number one in how we navigate through this world that is not our home, number one, we rest under the mighty hand of God. And here's the second one. Look at verses eight and nine. How do we walk through this world that is not our our own? He says, be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. His second charge to spiritual exiles is simple take serious your enemy. Take serious your enemy. In this passage here, Peter makes it really clear that you have an adversary. It's the devil. I think for some of us, we have to get out of our mind that the devil is a guy wearing red spandex, has a couple of horns, and a pitchfork. I know. What, just notice the description of, by the way, does anybody have that? Perception of the devil? Just let this passage annihilate that perception here, okay? Because he says, look, you have an adversary in your life. He's not just saying, well, pastors have an adversary or people who I think are, are like saints, like they're really spiritually up here and I'm just down here. I bet they have an adversary. No, he is talking to believers throughout the world. Believers, you have an adversary and here it is. He is a supernatural adversary. And the description of your adversary is pretty profound. That his approach is prowling. He prowls. And and not just like a lion, but he describes him as a vicious lion who is on the attack. And he has a purpose. What is his purpose according to this passage? He's seeking to devour. He's seeking to devour. It's no wonder that there would be an adversary towards spiritual exiles who have had their lives changed by Jesus are in the continual process of having their lives transformed to look more like Jesus. And yet those people those men and women would have an adversary, a supernatural one, who is constantly on the attack. So how do we resist? How? He said resist him. But how? How do we do that? We have to ask the, path, this, the scriptures, how do we do this? It's a great question to ask. He answers it for us. Number one, he said, be watchful. Be watchful. 
Be watchful and sober-minded, he said. We've talked about being sober-minded several times throughout this series because Peter comes back and mentions it several times. So what does it mean to be sober-minded? Just a reminder to us. It means to have a clear vision, to see things clearly, because the opposite of being sober is what? To be intoxicated, where you don't see things clearly. So Peter here is saying, be watchful. See things clearly through a biblical lens in your life. Look for the ways that your, your adversary is seeking to attack. But we also resist him in another way. Peter said, resist him by standing firm in your faith in Jesus. Resist him by standing firm in your faith in Jesus. And then thirdly, that last part. Know that you are part of something greater than yourself. Know that you are part of something greater than yourself. The last part of verse 9 he said, look, the same kind of suffering that you're walking through is being experienced by the brotherhood, his way of saying the church, not just in Asia where some of these spiritual exiles were living, not just in Pontus where some of these exiles were living, not just in Bithynia where some of the exiles were living, but no, he says, look, these are believers living all around the world, and you may think right now that your suffering for the name of Jesus is an isolated example, but it's not. It's the Christian experience around the world. And it was Peter's way of saying, look, don't become discouraged because you're facing suffering for the name of Jesus. Be reminded right now that you're actually a part of something far bigger than yourself, and this is a common experience for believers. And here's the... the the reality, church, it was a common experience in the mid part of the first century, and it has been a common experience for the last 2,000 years. And when we, when we wake up tomorrow, we should not be surprised when you don't feel like you belong in this world and people mock you for your faith in Christ. They don't mock you because you go to church. They mock you because the work that Jesus has done in your life. And you have an adversary who is constantly coming after you. This is number one, rest under the mighty hand of God. Number two, spiritual exiles, take serious. Take serious your enemy. And lastly, verses 10 and 11. His final charge to spiritual exiles. He says, after you have suffered, now this next part, for a little while, we're going to come back to that in just a moment. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever Amen. His final charge to spiritual exiles, suffer for a little while, yet long for heaven. Suffer for a little while, yet long for heaven. 
that phrase for a little while, what is that referring to? What, what, did, what segment of time does that represent? For a little while here represents the span of your life here on this earth. I know oftentimes you and I live as if we're going to be here on this earth forever, right? That our life will last forever. I was reminded of this, that that's not a reality. Two weeks ago, I attended two funerals in the same week. You and I don't live here forever. Peter says, for a little while, this little span of time that you have here on this earth, you're going to face suffering. It's going to happen. But then where does he go next? He doesn't end it there and just say, we'll get over it. He doesn't say, good luck. He takes you right back to eternal glory in Christ. In other words, suffer for a little while as a spiritual exile, yet in your suffering right now, long for your true home, which is heaven. Long for it. I don't know about you guys, but my perception of heaven growing up was a little bit comical. Now that I read my Bible and I start to allow the scriptures to dictate my understanding of heaven, but this is my perception of heaven growing up. It was kind of a mystical place that I would go to up in the clouds after I die. They're like little chubby angels playing harps. Anybody else relate to that? Uh, it's also going to be a place to where uh, we sing songs over and over and over and over again. So a lot of Chris Tomlin is going to be up in heaven, a lot of Hillsong. And that's what we're doing the whole time. They're going to be like pews that we sit in. It's going to be a giant family reunion. I'll get to see all the people that I really miss. Like that was kind of my perception of heaven. But this is what I've realized reading the scriptures. There is a day when Jesus is certainly coming back. And when he comes back, he is going to fully restore all that was broken by sin and the fall that took place in the Garden of Eden. All that is wrong with this world, Jesus will fully restore to its rightness. And a part of that, he is going to establish his kingdom here forever. His kingdom. And yes, it certainly is true that there will be no pain, no sickness, no sin. It is in complete perfection. But also in this reality is that we stand in the full glory of God for all of eternity. We don't have to be shy about that. We don't have to be scared of staying in his presence. But we stand there because of the gospel. We stand in the full glory of God for all of eternity. And that will be completely filling to our lives and our hearts, not just for a couple of days or a couple of years or a couple of decades or centuries, but for all of eternity. That's how good, that's how grand, and that's how awesome God is. But Peter just throws a few nuggets in here at the end of his letter about what else will be experienced in heaven. Do you notice at the very end? He said, Christ, what will he do? He will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So as you stand in the full presence of God for all of eternity in complete perfection, you're also standing there fully restored. Confirmed because of the gospel. 
strengthened for all of eternity and established. You're not going anywhere. Suffer for a little while, yet long yearn for your true home of heaven. As we conclude First Peter, my prayer for us as a church is really simple. My desire for us as a church is simple. That we ha- have started the process of grasping, accepting, acknowledging that a part of our identity is to be a spiritual exile in a world that we don't belong to. And as we walk in that identity, may we truly find rest under God's mighty hand. May we take serious our enemy. But also may we suffer for a little while and yet long for our true home. That's how we live in this world that's not our home. Let's pray together. The band is going to close us out in a final song here in just a moment. I certainly, I don't want us to just kind of move on to the next thing and miss the, the power of God's word. So why don't you take some time right now, just spend some time with the Lord. Maybe it's a time of surrender. Maybe it's a time of responding to the truth of his word. Maybe he has challenged you this morning. Maybe he is convicted through his spirit in your life. Maybe he's really calling you to step out and boldness of faith and being a spiritual exile. Or maybe it's as simple and life-changing as, Lord, I give my life to you today. Take some time, spend it with him, allow him to stir and move within you.